0: Studio in the Feeding, Arizona building in Youngtown Arizona. It's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. It is Friday, 12 14, 2012, and. We are broadcasting from our studio in Sun City, Arizona. It's 11 o'clock here in Sun City, 10 o'clock on the West Coast, and 1 o'clock on the East Coast. And we hope that everybody that has had their lunch or is having it is having a good one. I hope you're enjoying it and getting ready for the weekend and probably some Christmas shopping and whatever else that might be going along with your your holiday festivities uh, for this time of year. Uh, I want to remind everybody to go take a peek, if you would, please, at boomerandthebabe.com. See everything else that we're involved in, including our mini-books, e-books. Sign up for our mailing list, and you will receive in your inbox every four to six weeks our online magazine entitled Boomer Experience Speaks. Uh, Many of the articles there have been written by people that have been guests on our show or folks that have their own show on our blog talk network uh, that we call the Boomer and the Babe Network. So all that having said, been said, that commercial aspect of the front end of the of the show taken care of, I, wanted to, I want to introduce everybody to our guest today. And uh, I'm going to take a stab at his name. Uh, we talked prior to going online, and uh, I'm going to stab, uh, guess at his last name. His first name is Steve. That's pretty easy. Uh, but I'm going to say Giotto. Is that correct, Steve?
1: Close. It's Gato.
0: Gato. <laughs> I put a few too many uh, vowels in there, that's
1: for sure. That's right. Gato. It's Italian. It all works.
0: <laughs> Steve Gato. Steve is a certified financial planner, and we're going to be discussing all kinds of options and things that are going on uh, in the financial field today, uh, possibly even talking about some of the, the tax implications of the of the, uh the cliff or the curb or whatever it is that we're facing. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the show, Steve. We're glad to have you with us.
1: Thanks, Pete. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, when we try to start this thing off, if Deborah were here, but she's going to be, she's not here today. She's working with a, lo- a couple of our our, uh, our book book uh, publishers or writers, rather. She's that she's publishing. Um, she would ask you for your two minute movie, and and by two minute movie, we're referring to. Um, probably I started out as a very young child and what did you do then and how did you progress through to do what you're doing now and uh give us a little by doing that you're giving us a little background as far as what your what your work history is if you don't mind please
1: oh great i, I love to talk about it uh, basically through my life i've done two things i've been involved with the YMCA and i've been involved with the financial services industry Um, I started out, I got a degree in outdoor recreation management from Appalachian State um, in Boone, North Carolina, and went to sell life insurance after doing that. Absolutely hated selling life insurance and got offered a job in the ski industry uh, as a buyer for a ski shop. Uh, Left that to go back to pursue my MBA. I was asked to come and be the operations director for the largest YMCA camp in the world, Camp Seagull. Did that for three years. And then I had a friend of mine that said, Steve, would you be interested in helping people uh, set up their retirement plans for nonprofit organizations? And I worked for a little company out of Houston, Texas, for nine years and traveled the state of North Carolina setting up nonprofit pension plans. I got a call back to the YMCA to be actually the senior vice president in charge of camping for the YMCA, and I did that for three years to help transition into a new set of directors and um, some new leadership. And after that, I just felt the calling to get back into financial planning. Uh, financial planning has been something that I love doing. I love you know, figuring out puzzles. I love having the analysis and, and just helping people make good decisions. Um About 2008, I got a little, uh, I guess, discouraged with the whole financial services industry. Uh, The markets were tanking. Companies, there was all kinds of ethics questions and stuff, and I said, I I really don't want to do this the rest of my life. Um, I still want to do financial planning, but I don't want to sell products, so I set up a, a registered investment advisory firm, and basically uh, provided hourly financial planning for people and then about a year ago i was having breakfast with a good friend of mine and i said you know a lot of people don't like to get financial advice from a financial planner he said well that's true because you're going to tell us we got to change stuff uh, i thought well that's that's a good point and i said well how do you reach people how do you get them to understand how to make a wise decision and he said, well, you ought to teach him." He said, you love teaching. You've done it at the Y. You've done it, in you know, swimming, sailing, everything. He said, you're an effective communicator. You take the complex and make it simple. He said, well, why don't you teach? And I said, well, sounds like a good idea. And so I took about six months and found out that nobody in North Carolina, at least, was actually educating people on how to prepare for retirement. So I set up a company, My Retirement Education Center, um, we have classes that basic. It's a six-hour class that teaches people from start to finish how to basically put together a retirement plan. Starts out with your purpose, then it goes into the planning, uh, products, the people you need to have involved, and the protection that you need to have. One thing that came out of that was that a common problem that most people made, or the uh, common challenge that they had, was they didn't understand Social Security, and so. One of the fastest-growing classes I teach, and we're getting ready to basically expand our offerings, is how to get the most out of your Social Security benefits. It is a very complicated process, and people don't understand it. Consequently, it costs them a lot. So from there, I'm on your radio show.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, what you were just uh, describing there brings a, a a couple of questions, certainly one question to mind, and that is that you said you were involved in setting up non-profit pension plans. Uh, is there a difference between a pension plan for a non-profit and a pension plan for a for-profit?
1: There are. Uh, a 403B, it really has to do with the IRS code um, uh-huh. and how they're treated. Uh, there used to be more benefits associated with a non-profit pension. They would allow them to catch up. I can't remember which tax reform act it is anymore, but basically they made the 401ks and 403bs um, interchangeable.
0: Okay, so then that what that does is allows somebody that's working for the organization to have uh, the same benefits as somebody working for a for-profit. Is that what that was it, intended yeah, to do? Yeah,
1: basically it allows them to be portable.
0: Oh, okay. As
1: we've we've changed from. If you go back in the 60s, most of the retirement plans were what were called defined benefit plans. And a defined benefit plan would be you worked for a company for X number of years, and based on your years of service, your average salary, and a factor, you'd get a benefit for the rest of your life. Right. That became cost prohibitive for most employers, and they transitioned over to 401Ks where they put the money in there at the beginning and it, it takes on the form of an employer contribution, a match, or something along those lines. The challenge no. was you couldn't you couldn't take a 401k and move it to a 403b, and Congress just said that's ridiculous. Let's make it so it's portable.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, I I would mention. I mean, I I don't know how many companies are offering pensions per se any longer. Uh, would you have any idea how many that is, or? If it is the, a
1: small percentage. You know, the biggest pensions are your state. You know, the state of North Carolina has a teachers and state employees retirement system, and, and that's a defined benefit. A lot of the unions have um, pensions still, but small to mid-sized businesses they can't afford it.
0: Right, right. Well, I'll give you an example uh, of what I know. I mean, my my dad was a, a Ford Motor Company retiree at age fifty-five. And for him to retire at fifty-five, uh, uh, they sweetened his retirement pot. And I, I don't know exactly. I mean, that was a long time ago. I don't remember. But here's what I do know: I do know that to this day, to this very day, my mother still receives a Ford Motor pension as the surviving spouse, and she gets that every every month along with her Social Security uh, her Social Security check. And um, if she didn't have that pension from Ford Motor Company, she would be in a serious state of affairs uh, because it is a nice little it's a nice little chunk of change for an eighty nine year old woman that has very limited uh, costs on the day to day month to month basis. So I mean, those things that are still hanging around, basically like the one my mother has at eighty nine are are probably far and few between. And when she's gone, that pension's gone, and that'll never be seen again, I would
1: guess. Well, the challenge today is actually how do you create that using other financial products? Uh, in the Retirement Horizons class I teach, we teach people how to create their own pension plan. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you use your Social Security as part of it. You use uh, any pension that you may have And you'll have to purchase an annuity, and a lot of times the word annuity is like hitting your thumb with a hammer. Everybody says, "Ouch! I don't want that." But they're there for a specific purpose. They're they're the only instrument that's out there that can guarantee you income for the rest of your life or your spouse's life. And there's some the example you gave is a great example of why you need to create that. You you want that money to never run out, and so at least on your fixed expenses, you need to make sure that you've got an income stream that matches that for the rest of your life.
0: Right. Right. Now, what define what an annuity is. Is it an insurance policy of sorts?
1: It is. Uh, an annuity for... In layman's term, is an insurance contract. It's guaranteed by the financial backing of the insurance company, which is why well, it's important to check the credit ratings of the company that you're using to, for the annuity. And, and an annuity, in simple terms, is trading a bucket of money for an income stream for the rest of your life. So uh, in simple terms, if you had 100000 and the benefit wound up being 5%, You'd get $5,000 for the rest of your life.
0: Now, because it's an insurance policy, I'm going to guess that there is probably a health requirement to uh, to being able to procure an annuity. Is that correct?
1: There is not on, the annu- on most annuities. Uh, and, and the reason is is that you've already put the money in the bank. And they're betting that you're going to live an average lifespan. And they know that a certain number of people are going to die before that average age. And they know a certain number of people are going to die after that age. And because of their size, they're able to just, you know, basically make that spread or the expenses on the the money that they've already got. And they're going to have it for a long time. They don't have to worry about you taking the money out and running. Um, By the way, you can also get annuities through a lot of charitable organizations I know n c state here in uh, north carolina um their foundation's office loves for people that have a charitable annuity through them
0: Wow uh, so
1: it benefits the university it fills a charitable need and it it's a good win 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 situation.
0: Discuss what that is a little bit more in detail if you don't mind
1: well uh it it basically is the, the financial development office for a lot of these uh large charities. Uh the best way and, and they're different from organization to organization, so there's not a general boilerplate, this is exactly how it's gonna be. But you can go in and talk to these organizations and say, you know, I'm interested in making a charitable contribution to you, but I need money out of this. And so you'll go in, you'll hand them the, the check and they will give you income for the rest of your life. Um, there are restrictions on their end, and it gets pretty complicated on their end. But from the client standpoint, all you have to know is that I'm giving this money to the institution, and they're going to basically pay me money for the rest of my life.
0: Wow. And then they're they're going to do whatever that whatever they do with that money then, and uh, be able to pay you whatever they're going to pay you, plus the fact that uh, they're going to make something on that by investing that money. And they're here again. Now the bet is that I've given you uh, You $100,000. You're going to pay me $5,000 for the rest of a a month for the rest of my life. Uh, Is that correct? correct? Yeah, and they usually send it
1: on a beautiful statement from the organization that you care a lot about.
0: Right. And uh, and so what's going to happen then is they're betting that – Before they're done, before they've reached the 100,000 or greater, uh, you will have, uh, you've gone on to another land, so to speak. That's right. And uh, so then they just get to keep whatever's left.
1: That's right. And when you look at the size of some of these endowments, they're huge. Yes. Uh, Yale and Harvard have two of the largest ones in the country.
0: Wow, it's amazing. Amazing. Uh, and and there's really I, I mean the next question I think that comes to my mind is um, the baby boomers are we're we're basically known for spending it before we have it <laughs> uh, <laughs> counting our counting our chickens way too soon is I think the uh, the uh, I think
1: sometimes they're before they're an egg <laughs> yes
0: exactly exactly I think that's what the uh, uh those those brothers uh, sang in the song Kids of the Baby Boom, uh, spending our money way too soon. Um yeah. uh, what uh is it too late for somebody that's a baby boomer to start investing and preparing for a retirement that otherwise uh they're probably gonna work till they go ten toes up into the night.
1: That that's a common question and there's again, there's not a universal answer. Baby Boomers, there was an author, Ken Dykewald, that wrote a book called Age Wave, I believe is the name of it.
0: Yes. And
1: what was neat was he basically said Baby Boomers have redefined everything that they have touched. Yes. From transportation to the way that they spend money to you
0: know,
1: the cars they, they choose to buy, the houses, everything has changed. And the the biggest change is when social security started in nineteen
0: thirty five people uh-huh. lived
1: about two years. Right. And and now the average life expectancy for a healthy couple at sixty five, there's a twenty five percent chance that one's gonna live into their nineties. Yes. Um so at age sixty five the question is do I want to just sit and rock on a chair and historical, you know, kind of caricature of of retirement um, or do I want to do something different? And if you're able to continue to do stuff later on and after you hit traditional retirement age, whatever that means, um, so be it. You know, what happens with most people is you have the most knowledge, the most skills, and the most time. In my book, that's a good employee. Right. And so if you can do that, that may wind up being your retirement. Uh, Retirement is very few people have saved the, the necessary resources to never have to worry about ever having to work or do anything the rest of their lives. Either they have to reduce their standard of living or they have to find some way to supplement their income. And that's kind of the myth that's out there. I mean, all the years I've been doing retirement planning, everybody keeps saying that's what they want and it's a small percentage of people that are actually able to accomplish that. So I think the answer to your thing is that the the new norm is probably people working more in retirement.
0: Right. Right. Here's, here's what I see happening. And in, in, as far as what my witness and people I've talked to on, on our radio show here and what I'm frankly, what I'm living, um, my dad who I mentioned already retired at age 55 with a very nice pension and um uh, social security then when he became uh, turned 65 he started to draw social security and did did well i mean lived a very nice life played golf three times a week he and my mother uh, got into the fifth wheel and they traveled and uh went to the northwest they went to europe they took a cruise you know they did a lot a lot of stuff and it was because of the way that he had invested and in everything else that he had done along the way and more power to him and it's absolutely phenomenal. The 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 point making it that I'm making is he's the last person that I knew that can do it that way. Uh I when we moved over here to this area we joined a country club and the people that were my father's age and beyond could in many cases do it that way. But the people that were my age and younger, ain't no way that's going to happen. I'm sixty-five years old. I'm going to work. I've I've got to work at some level. I have to work now. But the, the key is for me to work as little as possible, make as much as I can <laughs> doing it, and enjoy every minute of it. Now that's the key, and and, and that's it's not a struggle for me because I enjoy doing this. But. Uh, that's, I think, exactly what you're saying. It, it, it is different for everybody, but yet it's not the same. It's vastly different from uh, from my, my parents, my father. This is not your father's retirement anymore.
1: You, you were dead on. In the, a Retirement Horizons class, the first third of the class is defining what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And for everybody, that's different. I, I, you and I were sharing before uh, the show came on air, how many people choose in retirement to take on a dream, something that they've wanted to do all their life. And it's a perfect time for doing it. Uh, You don't have the distraction of kids and all of that stuff, which kids are a blessing, but uh, they also come with a responsibility. And in retirement, you've got usually some resources. You've got plenty of time. You've got life experiences and passion. And like you said, you're you're doing a radio show because that's what you love to do. That's right. And, and the key in retirement is to find what you love to do and find a way to make money doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh there's always that find a way to make money doing it thing that, that sometimes it sometimes eludes people. Uh yeah. I, I know from time to time it has eluded us. Uh but what we have to do is we just have to tweak it somehow. We have to find something else. We have to find another product or uh, an ancillary aspect of what we're doing uh so that we can generate what it is that we need to uh uh to keep the wolves from the door so to speak. Uh but you know what it it's it's it's, it's you're we're vibrant, you know what I'm saying? Uh yep. we um we we continue. We move on. We go to networking events. We talk to people. We're meeting new people. Meeting new people on the radio, uh, having just having a wonderful time, uh, a wonderful time living. Really, is is what it amounts to, and living pretty much on our own terms, which really that's, makes sense. And, nice. and
1: I think that's the dream of retirement. I I always get a kick out of the ads that say, you know, what is your number? Like there is some magic number out there of dollars that you can have that will make you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think it was Rockefeller who said, how much is enough? He said, $1 more than I have. Right, right. And that's a true statement in retirement. I don't think you can ever save enough to be comfortable. But you can get a lot of comfort out of doing something you love and being fulfilled.
0: That's true. That's very true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, I I, I, I make enough so that I can put food on the table pay most of the bills most of the time <laughs> and, and i just tell him if you're not nice to me your name won't even go in the hat this month uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm being facetious certainly but uh but nonetheless i mean that I, I mean it, it, it's almost it, at this juncture it's almost a philosophy uh-huh. almost a, a life philosophy of you know what do you really need? And is there ever going to come a time when I'm going to say, Wait, you know what? All I'm going to do, all I'm going to do is play golf. That's it. I'm not going to do anything else. No, that's, I, I've I basically I've gone through that phase already, and, and I can only play so much golf before I go. You know what? I can't play this much golf and then continue to enjoy golfing. <laughs>
1: oh, and that's the truth.
0: So I mean, it's it, and it's. And it may not be golf for everybody, but it could be just about anything. You know how, many, how much traveling could you do? I mean, you have to at some point. You have I would I would guess because I've never been much of a traveler, but I would guess that at some point you have to come back to your base of operation and say, "All right, I'm going to re, uh, regroup here. I'm going to recharge my batteries and so on." And uh, and having the ability to do that, and through people like yourself helping us that are in this situation, is. Uh, is a is a great benefit. Talk to me a little bit about Social Security. I know that you we were discussing before we came on the air about there are a myriad of Social Security options, and I don't know that many people realize what all of the options and the implications are. So, why don't you start uh, start us down that road of discussion a little bit?
1: I think the first thing is that most people don't realize how important their Social Security benefit is. Uh, Social Security for the average American represents 38% of their retirement income. And yet they spend almost no time figuring out how to get the most out of it. Uh, I started researching Social Security when I kept seeing clients in their 80s that were struggling. You know, an extra $500 a month or $1,000 a month would make a significant difference in their life. Um, and they all had the same. Uh, Kind of track record And they worked for this state They retired early At 62 they started taking Their social security benefit Well the thing that a lot of people Don't realize when you get your social security Statement it's got three Numbers on it it's got your benefit At age 62 for people retiring Right now I'll give it to you at your Full retirement uh, age at 66 or at age 70 Well from age 66 every year you take it early, you lose 8% of the value. And that's for the rest of your life. On the other side, every year you delay, you increase it by 8% for the rest of your life and your spouse's life because what happens with Social Security is a spouse is entitled to half of the other spouse's full retirement age benefit or their own, whichever is greater. And so there's some strategies on figuring out when to claim it, how to, to get the most out of it, because you can change it. You can choose a spousal benefit and then claim your benefit at age 70. The bottom line is, you by the time you hit 70, you want to get the most benefit out of Social Security you can for two reasons. If anybody has ever worked for an employer that gave across-the-board pay raises, Do you want your percentage to be based on the CEO's salary or on the mailroom clerk? Because that cost of living is a flat percentage. It's not a fixed dollar amount. And so you're going to get more money for the rest of your life. For the average person, the difference between choosing at 62 and at 70, they'll intersect right around age 78. So you're not talking about a long time when people are living well into the future, you know, into their 80s especially if you look at the the probability that one's going to move on. But how to use the spousal benefits, how to file your Social Security in conjunction with your spouse um, is huge. People leave an awful lot of money on the table by not understanding how and when to use the different options that are available. The one thing that's true is once you make that decision, it's basically irreversible. And so you're stuck with it. So, That's why I teach the classes is to give people the knowledge to make a good decision. If everybody's dropped dead in your family of a heart attack at age 70, yeah, you probably want to start taking it at 62. But if you've got parents in their 80s and 90s, you really should think long and hard on how you wait until age 70 before you actually take your benefit and then how you integrate your spouses to get that extra money.
0: Isn't it the case... Uh, Steve, that uh, there are some people um, that at age sixty-two, uh, there may be some health issues. There may be some other issues that are involved that they need that money then, Absolutely.
2: Uh, and,
0: and and because that money is 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 what's going to keep them from. Uh, for, for lack of a better term, a euphemistic term, it's going to keep them from the poorhouse. It's it, yep. it, that is that is going to be that is going to be the lifeline, um, and, and that's really no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, then there's what else could they possibly do?
1: And yeah, you know, for those people that have health issues or there's no other option, you don't have a choice. um And and as sad as that is, it's not 45% of the people in America. Right. And the statistic is that 45% of people take their Social Security benefit at age 62, while only 1% to 2% take it at age 70. That to me tells me that there is – I think – I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but uh, I think the government has a vested interest in getting as many people as possible to take it early on because they're on the hook for less money.
0: So the pot, uh, the 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 pot of money that each individual gets, uh, is either realized or not realized to them. Uh, Based on when they take their Social Security, because what ha- it never runs out. Correct. In other words, if they That's live to correct. be 100, if they live to be 125, they're they're working to the good, basically. Or does yep. anybody ever get ahead of the game? Truly ahead of the game. In other words, they're actually getting more back than what they put in.
1: Yeah, it was in the Associated Press probably a month ago that the generation of people retiring today is the first generation of people that will not get their money back from Social Security. and And the the reason that they will not get their money back from Social Security has nothing to do with um, that they put so much into it. It's that they are taking a 25 – a majority of the people are taking a significant discount on their benefit by taking it early. It's the baby boomer mentality – I want my money now, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to spend it because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. The the downside to that is that in their 80s, when they really need the money, uh, it's not there. And, and in my book, that's tragic, and, and that's why I'm so passionate about teaching the classes on Social Security is, is that is something that people can control. You you have a choice. You can't control what happens to your 401k plan. The market can tank tomorrow, and if you're in the market, you're going to lose some money. Um, You can't control if your employer really goes out of business, and you wind up being on the pension guarantee benefit uh, corporation, and you're going to get less money. But Social Security is backed up by our government's ability to print money. So other than inflation... I think it's going to be there. They may tweak it down the road, but for people retiring right now, it, it is it is sad that they don't think uh, about Social Security as a significant benefit that you need to really understand before you make your election. People look at their 401K and they want you to evaluate their investments. Uh, I can't give you any guarantee of what will happen in the future in investments, but I can tell you to the penny what you can get from Social Security. And I think that's why people are trying to come to the classes. They're slowly but surely getting the idea that this is important, and this is one of the cornerstones of my retirement.
0: A person on Social Security. Let's let's say the person takes Social Security at age sixty-two uh, for whatever reason—ill health, whatever the case might be—but they manage to survive until eighty-five. Um, the the years that they took Social Security from sixty two to what sixty five or sixty six, uh, those years that they're they're drawing their money. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of how I can say this. The 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 money that they've drawn from in that time period, if they hadn't taken it until sixty five and started at age sixty five. Uh, what's the difference? In other words, what is the increased number at age sixty-five over what it is at sixty-two, and and is there a point at which they break even, or they're yeah. they're they're it's a good thing they didn't. How, where does that fit in? The
1: the break-even point. That's the question. I've got software that actually analyzes everybody's unique situation. They can tell me what age they think they're going to live to and it will tell you where those two numbers intersect. Um, On average, it's around age 78. And and the reason is, if you think of it, basically you've got a 25% discount if you take it at age um, 62. You've got a surplus or a bonus of 25% at age 70. So let's say someone got $2,500 a month. Uh, roughly nineteen hundred dollars a month if you take it at sixty-two, thirty-three hundred dollars a month if you take it at seventy. Well, it doesn't seem like a lot until you actually multiply that by twelve. So you're somewhere in the difference between eighteen thousand dollars a year and thirty-three thousand dollars a year, or more than that.
2: Hmm.
1: And you're only talking an eight-year difference in time before it has it makes it up. So and, and to compound it, you've got the cost of living adjustment that's going to be for the rest of your life on a bigger sum of money.
0: Right, right. So if a person says to you, Steve, um, I'm 62 years old. I need to have the money now. And furthermore, I don't think that I'm going to live much past 75. What is your recommendation?
1: Take the money now.
0: Take it now. Okay.
1: All right. Yeah, And, so, and that's the key. The, the optimizing your Social Security is about getting the most most. If, if somebody can tell me exactly what age they're going to die,
2: right. I can
1: give them a great concrete illustration. <laughs> um I don't know too many people that want to give me that date.
0: They don't want to give you the date, and not only that, wouldn't it be nice if you could collect on the fact? <laughs> that Boy, <somehow> <laughs> that but, you... but the
1: reality is, is that age six at sixty two. I think you people have a good idea of what their health is like. Right, Um right. And, and if you're in good health at 62 or 65, it, even if you're pulling money out of your 401K and out of your um, regular savings to just make it or getting a part-time job that covers it, the other big issue at taking it at 62 instead of your full retirement age is you get penalized by the government.
2: Mm-hmm. There is an
1: earnings cap of roughly thirteen to fourteen thousand dollars that every dollar you earn above that you lose one dollar in benefit for every two dollars you earn.
0: Right. So you're basically so,
1: giving your social security back to the government.
0: Right, right. Well I knew I, I know when I looked when I looked at mine it was uh that was that was part of what I looked at. I said, what's what's the advantage here? Uh because I intended to make more than that. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and so. about
1: thirty-three thousand dollars a year, you lose all your benefits.
0: Yeah, so I mean, if I'm if I'm making that much money, I can certainly, in theory, anyhow, live without the uh, the benefit from uh, from the other. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's uh, what I try to help people understand: is there are different ways to address this challenge.
0: Hmm. You mentioned earlier something about uh, setting up your beneficiaries. Uh, uh, Talk to me about beneficiaries, please. Uh,
1: Beneficiaries are real important from an estate planning purpose. Uh, And a lot of times people will have a 401K plan or a life insurance policy that they started early on in life, and they didn't really think about it. Either they named a state, that's a common thing that happens, or heaven forbid, you're in a second marriage or something and you didn't change the beneficiary. And there there there's numerous cases of people that have been rather upset when they didn't get the benefit on the life insurance policy because nobody reviewed the Mm beneficiary. And the reason for making sure you've got the beneficiaries in place in in most states, I, I can speak from North Carolina's standpoint, different states have some different rules. California's got some really unique uh, inheritance rules, Um, but basically it keeps it out of your estate, out of your probate estate. So using um, payable upon death, um, transferring on death, uh, having the beneficiary on your IRAs, on your 401Ks, it just makes the administration of your estate simple. And, And your beneficiaries. Should match what your estate plan says. So, uh, you and I talked about trust just a little bit, how with your parents that was a, a nice thing to have in place. Right. Um, the language in, in your retirement account, if you want that to be something that's handled through the trust, you want that language to match it. Gotcha. And, and a lot of times it's just overlooked. Um, people overlook that. They, they overlook, uh, setting up a will and power of attorney and health care provisions, and and as you get later into life, those become very important. I I know there was a case down in Florida with Terry Shivo that basically uh, a health care directive would have saved an awful lot of uh, administrative headaches for everybody.
0: And a whole bunch of political ping-pong, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that, all for a, about an $80 document. That's the part that just blows my mind, is yeah. the health care power of attorney, when you're doing your will, is next to nothing to add to it.
0: Right, right. And uh, there, there is all kinds of opportunities now for uh, various programs that you can get based on a um, – uh, on an MLM basis that you could become part of actually setting people up in that business and part of what they offer you for your um for your package when you buy it as uh as a uh, identity theft uh, uh coverage is they give you a free will. Yeah. And so if you're going to have identity theft insurance which is basically I'm going to say $17 a month uh, that they monitor and make sure that uh they they will protect your identity uh, as part of that package, you're getting a free will no no yeah. water, you? and oh.
1: I can tell you that it's probably eighty percent of the people that come to my classes either haven't updated their will in the last five years or just plain don't have one, yeah, and they don't realize they have one. It's just the state of North Carolina has set it up for. Them. And they just don't seem to care what you thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Why don't you just send it all to me? That's that's what they think. Send it to the state. We'll take yeah. care of it.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um let's talk a little bit more about your retirement education center. I I I have uh I have the website here uh on uh, in front of me online uh, retirement retirement uh, Education Center, my Retirement Education Center. And uh, I'm looking at this, and as I'm going through it, uh, there's, a, there's a fair amount of information there.
1: Uh, one of the things I really am passionate about is giving people the information to make decisions on their own. I think that, and I spent 18 years as a broker or financial planner or whatever you want to call it, selling products, and, and the thing is I understood all the products, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that the clients I worked with understood it. And when I started doing hourly financial planning, I thought that was a common theme that the advisors knew exactly what they were doing. The clients just didn't understand it. Consequently, they were always nervous or unsettled about, you know, what their actual plan was. And I, I sat down with some of my friends, uh, that were attorneys, CPAs, insurance agents, trust advisors, investment managers, and said, let's create a curriculum that helps people understand what we're doing instead of selling them a product. And the educate, my retirement education center was born. It started out with a 12-hour class that nobody would come to. I don't understand why I could talk about all this stuff for 12 hours, but I don't <laughs> think anybody could sit through it. Um, retirement Horizons class, which is uh, really a core class in helping people feel comfortable about their own retirement. It, it doesn't push any product. It, it helps them understand the products that are out there, how you would use them, um, what you should expect to pay for them, how you interview professionals, how you put together your own team uh, of professionals, your attorneys, your CPAs, your investment advisors, um, it helps them understand the products without being sold a product. So when your advisor says, I think you should use an annuity, you aren't kind of reverting, oh, Susie Orman said I should never have an annuity, and this is bad advice. And you understand what an annuity does and where you use it. And it helps the the, uh, individual student really uh, embrace the planning that's being done. Because I can tell you honestly, there's only a handful of folks that I've seen out there that are really trying to take advantage of folks. The, the people that are solid professionals, been in the business a long time, have a, something besides a, a seminar that they are in their town uh, hawking a, a index annuity, they do a great job of actually doing the planning. The problem is people don't understand what they're doing, and so I've decided that one of my passions was teaching, and I I wanted to help people better understand what was going on. Through that class, the the Social Security class, I don't know anything that I do that gives more tangible value to people. Uh, It's a $50 class for most folks, um, and and they get when to file, how to file, um, and it gives them a chart to show them how much they actually save um, by Utilizing the strategy that gets the most out of it—that's information that, in 20 years of doing financial planning, I'd never seen. And, and yet, if I had that as an advisor, that would be a tool that would be invaluable to my client. And so, that's that's why I teach—is I'm I'm not as concerned about selling anything except the knowledge.
0: So now you don't handle any particular product lines, is that correct? Not a
1: single one. I, I, two years ago, I stepped away from selling any products or investments.
0: Do you recommend uh, people to, if, for instance, if somebody comes to your class and they're you're discussing um, there's the, the, the knowledge they need to have and so on and so forth, so they say, well, this is all great stuff. I'm so excited about the fact that I now have this knowledge and information. Thanks for it, giving it to me, Steve. But who do you recommend? Do you make recommendations?
1: What I do is I, I strongly encourage them to start with the broker or financial advisor that they have been working with because um, it's designed to really strengthen that relationship. They started working with them for a reason. There was some level of trust, um, and that's where I encourage them to start. If they don't have a relationship, I've got a Rolodex full of advisors that – uh <laughs> it's easy to say, you know, who do you like, you know, what type of person. And I encourage them to interview three or four different advisors or professionals before you make a decision and find the one that you feel most comfortable with because at the end it's not me that is meeting with them. It is you that's going to spend the rest of your life, hopefully, with this advisor.
0: We uh, some some Jesus been years ago now. That, now that I just mentioned it, it came to mind in this discussion. We had a gentleman that was on our show on us on a somewhat regular basis, and he was uh, he was what we considered our go to guy with regard to financial issues. And uh, he would come on and he would discuss how he went through an interview process with uh, with prospective clients and he wanted the clients to ask whatever they wanted to ask of him uh and whatever it was that uh, they needed to know of him so they could feel as comfortable as possible but he also said i am also interviewing you to be if you, to see if you are going to be an acceptable client to me because it and is that- it is a two-way street isn't it
1: It is great. It is not about finding the one person that does it well. It's finding the person that matches your needs, that it is a two-way street. With any of the investment advisors, I encourage people to get what's called an investment policy statement, not because it's a legal thing, but because it clearly identifies what both parties are going to do. It's what your expectations are as the investor and what the manager's responsibilities are on the back side. And, and so if there's any questions later on, you've got a document that's there in writing that you can go back and say, you know, look, I thought we were going to do this, and I don't see it happening. It holds everybody accountable. Right. Um, it, it is huge. And in the class, I actually give them, it's probably 25 questions or so in, in a little matrix that they can use to interview the uh, advisor. There's a lot of... Uh, lack of better word, propaganda out there about which type of advisor is the best advisor. Is it somebody that earns a commission? Is it somebody that works hourly? Is it somebody that works on a, a fee basis based on your portfolio size? Anybody that's working in those fields can clearly differentiate themselves from the, the competition and make it sound like it's the best way. The reality is you've got to get value for it however you're paying for your advice. And so, you, you you need to be able to ask them openly and honestly, "How are you compensated?" If they can't answer that, I'd end the discussion right there.
0: Or if they're not willing to answer it.
1: Yeah. If if they won't, then that's a huge red flag. Run.
0: Yeah. Pack <laughs> up your bags and hit the All road. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there is. Um, I would venture to say that there is uh, very few other things in life that are as important as your relationship with your financial advisor and the team that they uh, that they employ uh, other than possibly your medical practitioner and the team that they employ. Uh, they somewhat are parallel, aren't
1: they? I, I think they are. And it's good to have a point person. Uh, I'm biased as a certified financial planner. I think there's a lot of value in having that one person um, kind of drive all the other people, kind of a quarterback on a team. Um, From my perspective, it makes sense to have that person that doesn't have a vested interest in all the other pots, um, that can communicate on your behalf with your attorney, that can communicate with your financial advisor, that can communicate with your insurance agent, that can communicate with your bank, um, and really bring all the pieces together and and be a second set of eyes on everything that's going on out there. And and these days and times, I think that's invaluable to have somebody that's willing to openly and honestly give you a second opinion. Uh, That's why I set up the registered investment advisory firm, was to be able to give people that advice without selling any products.
0: So that you you could be that um, well I don't want to, uh, the for I like a better right. word.
1: It's, folks. it's not my my primary business. Um, I, the teaching is what I love to do. Um, however, you do get in situations where people come to you and want advice, and unfortunately, my kids like to eat, and I've got to put food on the table, so I'm in a, a an hourly basis for for doing financial planning for people.
0: I, oh, yeah. I do love
1: doing financial planning.
0: Hmm. Well, you're in a you're in a tight spot. You got to feed people.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so let me just get this straight. If somebody comes to you and says, Steve, uh, this is what people are recommending that I do, or this person is recommending that I do, I don't fully understand it. Can you explain it to me, and do and do you think it is of value that I do X, Y, or Z? Then you can give them that advice. Is that correct? That's right. We'll,
1: we'll sit down on an hourly basis and say, you know, let's go through this. And, and I've had quite a few folks. Uh, um, as I said, the, the one qualifying one on the statements is folks that wind up going to the free steak dinner. My, my experience is that those free steak dinners cost you an awful lot of money over your life.
0: Oh, man, I get so many of those mailing pieces. It's just yep. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. you know. And there are nice restaurants, too. I'd love to have the dinner, but I'm not going to give them any of my information, so that thing,
1: well, that thing just,
0: it just goes in the trash. I mean, I, some of my... Come in can
1: understand it, and then go eat your meal with them. That way you don't have to worry about being sold something you don't understand. That, a quick little story. I had a, a lady that came into my office and said, you know, I need you to look at this. We went to this dinner, and My husband is ready to invest everything we have in this product because it sounds so good. Well, to make a long story short, basically the return after you figured all the expenses and everything was about 2%, the same they could get at a bank. And I said, the real question is, do you really want to invest your life savings in a product you didn't understand with a person you don't know for the rest of your life?
0: All for a steak dinner.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, And she said, that is so helpful. And you know uh, for them it was two hundred dollars, and they got the information they needed, and they could go back and and I, I told them to go back and talk to their regular financial advisor, but those i i am almost fifty and I, I get the invitations already, so
0: mhm, yeah, yeah, well here in this uh in this retirement community, it just runs rampant uh, oh, yeah. uh, everybody and their everybody and their brother is boy, have I got a deal for you? You know, <laughs> that's the truth. And you've got it's
1: buyer beware. And, you know, that's really why, as far as certified financial planners go, I think it's only 4% of us are truly hourly only. That means that we don't manage money. We don't um, sell products on commission. We just charge for time.
0: Uh I, we're getting down talking about time we're getting right down to the short rows here as they say in the in the farming industry. Um what is uh this is a this is a term that I've heard and uh, and I frankly accused somebody of doing it not with my stuff but just based on what I I thought they were doing and what I understood it to be. What is churning an account? Uh
1: churning is consistently selling investments to generate a commission. So Uh, let's say I've got my mortgage due in five days and I don't have enough, and I look at your account and I say, well, if I sell this mutual fund and buy this mutual fund, I generate a commission, there's really no benefit to you. Um, But I tell you, hey, you know, I thought this was a better investment. And they consistently do that over time. It's illegal. Um, And and so if you see a lot of trades in your account and you're paying a lot of commissions, It'd be worth getting a second opinion on it.
0: So that's the key. That's the tip-off. There's a lot of trades in your account. and, uh, and That your... generate
1: commissions.
0: Okay. Okay. So if you're
1: paying a lot of commissions, and, and a lot of times they don't know. It. it used to be what we're calling A shares, B shares, and C shares. You don't see a lot of B shares because all the commissions were kind of hidden in those. uh now they're A-shares where you pay the commission up front or C-shares where you pay a level one over a longer period of time. There's not as much incentive in a C-share to basically churn, but in A-shares, you could pay quite a bit in those. Is there a legal recourse
0: for the for the investor uh, if they discover that somebody has been churning their accounts?
1: I'm sure there is, and I'm sure there are a lot of attorneys out there that would love to do that. Um, Before, And and this is, uh, from an advisor standpoint, I would much rather somebody come to me and discuss it first before I got an attorney involved. I I would say, you know, help me understand what's going on here. If you get pushback and stuff like that, then hire a securities attorney to come in and, and look at it and see if you've got a valid case. A lot of times just because stuff is bought and sold in a short period of time and where the market is volatile as it is, you need to understand what's going on there. And when it first happens, where it's really a problem is when it goes on for a long time and people aren't attentive. So if you're watching your statement and you challenge them, your, your advisor, that, hey, what's going on here? Why are you always selling these things? And they don't seem to be that different. They can't answer it. I'd probably get a different advisor before I go through the cost of hiring an attorney. Sure. Uh, <clears throat>
0: one last one last question. Um, in in the event that um, uh, somebody is um, helping you manage your funds, your money, your accounts, whatever the case might be, uh, as the investor, uh, the person that's hiring the financial planner, whoever it may be. Uh, does a financial planner have the power of a, power and the authority to make whatever trades they deem fit without informing you of them
1: well there you have to have a uh, what is it called it's um it's a discretionary account and non discretionary if they have a non discretionary authority, then they've got to confirm everything before you do it if they have discretionary authority. You basically give them the power to make trades on your behalf uh if you're going to do that, it's usually best to make sure that there's some type of fiduciary responsibility involved there
0: so uh, the old check with me first is probably the best way is that would you would you recommend that
1: I think it depends on the person and who you're dealing with um, There are pros and cons to both ways. Uh, the the biggest negative is what if they can't get in touch with you and we've got a 2008 situation on our hand where everything is just plummeting.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, I'd want them to be able to make that change on my behalf. And so it really boils down to trust and, and what is their relationship. Uh, I know a lot of folks that work on discretion, and you know because of their integrity – I would want them to do that for me. I also know a lot of folks. <coughs>
2: excuse
1: me. That I, I really I, I think they're more concerned with selling the next product than they are watching my account.
0: Right. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, I understand, and that, that's. Uh, it, it just seems a little dicey sometimes. Uh, it can be. Yeah. Exactly.
1: But well, basically, when you hire a mutual fund, they're doing that for you anyways.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. So when uh, when you are working with folks uh, and giving them the benefit of your uh, information and so on and so forth and, and doing your teaching, um, you say that's a six-hour class, and uh, it all takes place in one day, correct? Right. Uh, do you do anything online, or do they have to be there in person?
1: It's right now, uh, it's in person. I, I teach the retirement horizons class one day, uh, a month. It's on a Saturday. Uh, the social security class is a one hour class that's on Mondays and Fridays. Um, and it's at lunchtime so people can get away. Uh, I work with other advisors, uh, with their clients and I'll do private type classes for them so they can kind of control the environment. Uh, I've, I've had several folks that have said you ought to do this as kind of a virtual class. I just haven't had the technological background to do that. Well, uh,
0: well, there's uh, there's Skype works well, and so does something called Spreecast. You can check into those. Okay. Uh, S- uh, Skype, you can have it on your have it on your computer. Uh, and use your webcam and Spreecast and also has a, a a webcam option as well. So that might it's be a
1: something it. that I'm looking into. Uh it's just a, a time and resources right now.
0: Sure. Absolutely. I understand. Well Steve we're down here to the short rows. We've got to wrap this up. Uh give us some information on where people can get a hold of you and ask questions at least if uh if they have something that uh, is is bothering them. Uh so here's your chance for your shameless self promotion.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. It has been a a joy to just have a good conversation with you about retirement planning and the the issues that are out there. I love to talk about this. The easiest way to get in touch with me is through the website. It's myretirement-edu.com. And the email, if you've got a question, is steve at myretirement-edu.com. There's a lot of resources around there. We're bringing more resources all the time to it. Uh, there's information on Social Security, how to get your information from there. Um, hopefully in the not-too-distant future we'll have some classes uh, where I'll actually bring in the attorneys and CPAs and kind of do it at a nice location. Maybe we'll get out there to Arizona and, and do a class in your area. so
2: there you People go. can
1: come and, and just... Uh, Get away from the busyness of life and focus on their future. I think that's a key thing uh, to really make a priority in your life, is taking that time to do it. But if anybody's got a question, they're welcome to send me an email. Um, And one of the things I'm working on right now is kind of having a forum where people can send me an email and I'll post it on the website with an answer, answer. So, as these common questions keep coming up, it'll be a place where people can get more information. So I, I write a blog post uh usually every week on different topics and uh, if you like that just go to my uh there's a Facebook page which is a link off the website, that's the easiest way to get there. Um just like it and follow us.
0: Sounds great. Well thank you very much for being the guest today, Steve. It's been all all good information and uh and a lot of it and I do appreciate your taking the time.
1: Well, thank you so much. Have a great Christmas and New Year's and uh, the rest of your retirement.
0: Thank you very much, and the same to you uh, uh, for whenever you do retire, if you retire. <laughs> That's right. All
1: right.
0: Thanks again, Steve. Take care. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. And we've been listening to Mr. Steve Out, uh with regard to retirement, and his website, uh, I'm going to pull it up here again real quick, is uh, let's see, where is it? The website is, is Retirement Education Center, myretirement.edu.com or dash edu.com, myretirement.edu.com. And you could probably Google him also. It's Steve Gato. Steve is S-T-E-V-E-G-A-I-T-O, Certified Financial Planner. So with that, we'll say goodbye. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, be back next week with some more interesting guests and more interesting topics. Uh, And until then, uh, take care, and we'll talk again soon. Bye now.
2: Are you still there, Pete?
0: And the Babe Show, where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet as Boomer and Babe, and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at BoomerAndTheBabe.com. Email us at host at BoomerTheBabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started.